Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Recorded live.
you're listening to the live or or maybe the recorded archives of this gospel of the kingdom, the live Sabbath services of I Saw the Light Ministries. This is Pastor Tim of I Saw the Light dot com. I Saw the Light Ministries dot com. That is I Saw the Light Ministries dot com. Pastor Tim, and for the record, today's date in the Roman calendar is June the thirteenth, two thousand fifteen, A.D. in the year of our Lord Jesus Christ. And in God's created calendar, it is the 26th day of the third month. 26th day of the third month. And we're going to have the first day coming up of the month, coming up this Wednesday, or this Wednesday coming, that is Wednesday the 17th, will be the first day of the fourth month, if you want to keep track of when the, the next month is coming. <clears throat> Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. Thank you. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. It's the Sabbath day. Thank God it's not raining. Thank God for every person that is here. Thank God for the opportunity to come together in prayer and in thanksgiving and worship. Lord, you, Father, God, we thank you, Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, we thank you, God, for the Sabbath day, this opportunity to come together in unity and one mind, in one accord, to worship you and to serve you, to hear your word, to hear your voice. Thank you, God, for this opportunity. Thank you, God, for your word. We ask, God, that your will be done. We ask, God, that your spirit move. We ask, God, that we not hinder nor quench anything you would say or do. God, please have your way, Lord. This service is yours. We're here to serve you, to worship you, to hear you. Thank you, God, for your word. Thank you, God, for your Holy Spirit. Thank you, God, for baptism. Thank you, God, for salvation. Thank you, God, for this day of rest. Thank you, God, for this day of work. Thank you, God, for this day. Thank you for calling us and choosing us for this day and this time. Praise your holy name. We ask God that you have your way. Ask God that you please bless the service, bless the speaking, bless the hearing. Help us, God, worship you in spirit and in truth. Thank you, God, for the beautiful setting, for the privacy, for the protection. Thank you, God, for this place, for the shade, for the cold water, for the music. Thank you, God, for the scripture song. Thank you, God, for every person that listens to this broadcast, for every, every person that is following this ministry to learn more about you. We ask God your protection, your mercy, your grace upon them, Lord, that you lead us all in the truth, Lord, and reveal to us hidden things. Reveal to us what we need to know, God, what you want us to know, Lord. We ask God that you deliver us from all false doctrine, legalism. We ask you, God, to deliver us from all the deceptions that have been brainwashed and engraved in our hearts and minds. We ask God that you please deliver us from all the false doctrines of Babylon, of the Pentecostal Church, of the Catholic Church, of Islam, all the false doctrines of Judaism, all the false doctrines of witchcraft, all the false doctrines of paganism, all the false doctrines of the churches of this world and denominations of man. We ask God that you deliver us, Lord God, from legalism, 
being a Pharisee. But I ask, Lord God, that you deliver us from Hebrew roots. I ask you, God, to deliver us from any cults, from any false prophecies. But I ask, God, that you deliver us from anything that's displeasing to you. Anything that's displeasing to you, that God, you would remove it from our hearts, from our minds, from our lives, from our thinking, from our doctrines and our beliefs. We ask you, God, to cleanse us and to purify us from all wrong. We ask you, Lord God, to open our eyes, remove the blinders from our eyes, help us to clearly see. We ask you, Lord God, to show us things we may not even want to know, God, and deliver us from any hindrances, from any bondages, anything we don't want to let go of. That, God, you deliver us, Lord, from anything, God, that you want us to be delivered of. We ask, God, that you help us to overcome those things that you want us to overcome. Thank you, God, for salvation, for deliverance. Thank you, God, you have made us more than conquerors in Christ Jesus. That by you, God, that we can do anything. Thank you, God, for power, for love, for a sound mind. Thank you, God, for peaceful sleep. Thank you, God, for waking us up. Thank you, God, for prophetic dreams. Thank you, God, for visions for the people. Thank you, God, for revelations for the end time, for your written word and your spoken word. Thank you, God, for when you speak loud, for when you speak quiet. Thank you, God. I ask God you please help us to hear your voice clearly. I ask God's clarity of mind that we would empty our minds, that the Holy Spirit would empty our minds of clutter and anything that would prevent us from hearing you. We ask you, Lord God, to help us to tone down the world, to throw away the things that hinder us. We ask you, Lord God, to help us to turn down the volume of the world, turn you up. We ask you, Lord, to help us to look upon you. Help us, God, to slow down and look. Help us to look up. Help us, God, to look. To look upon you, to put our minds, our hearts, our focus upon you, and to put you first in all things. Help us, Lord, to set our priorities right in every area of our life, our hearts, our minds, our spirit, our flesh. Help us, Lord, to follow the spirit of the law rather than the, the letter of the law that kills. Help us to look at the spiritual purpose, the spiritual reason. Help us, God, to look at these things. Kingdom, spirit, life, not death. Praise your holy name. We ask God you have your way today. Bless the speaking and the hearing and the receiving and application of into it, into our lives. Thank you, God. Every green thing. Praise the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. For the blue skies for the breath of life, for the butterflies, for the bees, for life, and for death. Thank you, God, for in your wisdom there's a time for all things, and it's all in your control. For the, it's going to all work out for the good that loves you and are called according to your purpose. You are in control. Thank you for the Apostle Paul, for the book of Romans, for the book of Acts, for all the writings of the Scripture. Please protect us, God, from all the snares and the traps. Protect us from the Internet. Protect us from men's doctrines, men's way of thinking. Turn it all over to you. It's in your hands, God. Lift up to you our burdens. Lift it all up to you. Surrender it to you, God. In the name of Jesus Christ, it is yours. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done here on earth. 
that is in heaven. All of this in the name of Jesus Christ, so be it. Amen. Turn to the book of Revelation, chapter 22. Revelation 22. Killing of the nations. Revelation 22. Eternal Israel. Remembering Jacob. Revelation chapter 22, and we're reading from the New American Standard Bible, but you're welcome to follow along in the King James or any translation that you might have there. Revelation 22, verse 1. I encourage people to take notes if they can, and uh, that way you can go back later and read these scriptures again and pray about them and seek. And I encourage people, if possible, to take notes in their Bible as well, to underline, to outline, to jot down related scriptures. It's okay to write in the pages of the Bible if you've got, if you've got room in that particular Bible. That way, when you go back later, you can uh, have a note right there in your Bible because it's hard to dig up notes, say, something you wrote down in a note a year ago or even yesterday sometimes. Try to go back in your notebooks and pieces of paper and try to find where did I make that note, you know, a year later, 10 years later. But if you write in the Bible, which I do recommend taking notes outside the Bible as well. I'm saying both would be great because if you make notes in your Bible, it's there. And then for the rest of your life, for the rest of your time length that you're using that Bible, every time you read that verse, you're going to have that note right there where you can find it, where you can see it, remind you of what you've already learned, what you've already heard, what God has already revealed, related scriptures, uh, keywords, and so forth. So I do recommend making notes in your Bible and notebooks as well. And I really encourage people to read the Bible in the Bible. The paper pages, your hard copy, paperback, hardback, whatever, your paper pages of the Bible. There's nothing wrong with reading it online to a certain extent, but then again... it's much, much, much better to read the real Bible instead of the electronic Bible. The real Bible helps much, much, much more than the electronic Bible. How does it do that? Well, when you're reading the real Bible, your paper copy, you see how many verses? About 20, 30, Verses according to what publisher you've got, what size Bible you got, you're seeing 20 to 30 or more verses right there in front of your eyes, compared to one or two, three or four online. So God can move your eyes around. He's in control, you know, and He can move your eyes around 
and show you a verse 20 verses away that is directly related to that verse. Maybe a verse, maybe a key word, sentence, a statement that you need that is not going to be possible online. And God can And as you read the paper pages of your Bible, you can take notes in it, right? You can take notes in it, underline, highlight, write down related scriptures. And we're not always going to have the Internet, praise God. So if you're reading from the paper pages right now, making your notes for the future, that's going to help you in the future. Not only that, but you're getting to know your Bible. Where is this? Where is that? Where is that statement? Where is that verse? Where is that chapter? Where is that book? You're getting to know your Bible to where when you need that particular subject, topic, of Scripture, you can turn to it. You're like, I remember that's in the upper left corner. I remember that's on the left side of the page. I remember it's here, you know. But if you're reading always online and then the Internet goes down, then you've not got that foundation built up. When we read the paper pages of the Bible, we're building a foundation. And God can move your eyes around and show you things much more than online. There's nothing wrong with reading online that's okay. That's better than nothing. But I really encourage people to read the real Bible. Now, Revelation chapter 22, verse 1. Then he showed me a river of the water of life, clear, clear as crystal, coming from the throne of God. This water, this river, coming from the throne of God. He's the source, the fountain, and of the Lamb. It's the throne of God and of the Lamb. Word throne there is singular, it's not two thrones. In the middle of its street, on either side of the river, was the tree of life, bearing twelve manner, twelve kinds of fruits, yielding its fruit every month, and the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. And the healing of the nations is what I want to focus on today. This is what God showed me. But we'll continue here for a moment and come back. Verse 3, there will no longer be any curse. So, you remember in the Garden of Eden, there was the tree of life. And there was the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, which they was not supposed to partake of, the forbidden fruit. But they took the wrong tree, the forbidden tree, and then the curse came. That was the fruit of it, was the curse. And the curse has existed ever since then, and it was kicked out of paradise. It was kicked out of the Garden of Eden. And the word in the Greek that it says for Garden of Eden, it says, Paradise of Eden. It's pronounced a little bit different, but it's paradise. 
They was in paradise. There was no curse. There was no thorn. There was no pain. There was no death. There was naked and unashamed. There was no shame, curse, or sin in paradise. There was free with God. There was close to God. But then sin creeped in, corrupted their thinking, corrupted their way of life, corrupted the earth, the seeds of the earth, trees, because they decided to choose for themselves what was right and wrong, to choose for themselves their own knowledge instead of godly knowledge, instead of true wisdom. The devil being the wisest of all the beasts of the earth was not true wisdom. What it was was his own knowledge, not true knowledge. His own made-up knowledge, what he thought was right in his own eyes. And so they chose for themselves to choose even as the devil did, choose between right and wrong, that, hey, it's susceptible to not obey the commandments of God. And by doing that, by choosing the wrong, they rejected the tree of life because you cannot partake of the devil's table and the Lord's table at the same time. One way or the other can't have it both ways. So when they accepted the forbidden fruit, the forbidden choosing for their own, they rejected the tree of life. And it was cast out from the garden, from the paradise, and even from the presence of God. Even though they could still hear it from God, there was no longer in that closeness that they were before. As part of the lesson of the Day of Atonement, that happens in the 7th month, September and October. But that curse still exists today until the new heaven and new earth. And in Revelation 21, chapter 21 and chapter 22, these two last chapters of the Bible are talking about the new heavens and the new earth. When it's all said and done, death is defeated, the devil is defeated, there's no longer any curse. They're back in paradise. Garden of Eden is reestablished over the entire earth, a newly remodeled earth. And there'll no longer be any curse. And the tree of life will be reestablished. What is that tree of life? It's Jesus Christ. And we will be brought back into the fullness of the presence of God. See, there's been a separation between God and man ever since the fall of man. They're going to be brought back, and he should be our God, we should be his people, and he should dwell here on earth with his people. And it says in verse 3, there will no longer be any curse, and the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it. And his bondservants will serve him, and they will see his face, and his name will be in their foreheads. That's spiritual. They're not going to be walking around with a name carved 
into their flesh. They're not going to have no flesh. And in their spirit, they're still not going to have no name visibly. You're not going to be able to see no one's name in their forehead. It's spiritual. We got to think spiritual. Think spiritual. Verse 5, and there would no longer be any night, and where they would not have need of the light of the lamp, nor the light of the sun, because the Lord God will illuminate them, and they will reign forever and ever. So, but let's go back to verse 2. There's that tree of life, and it says in the last words of verse 2, the tree, the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nation. Is there literally, literally, literally going to be a tree? with leaves on it, bearing fruit every month. No. This is symbol. This is John seeing a vision. It's a vision. And a visions and dreams have symbols that must be interpreted. He's seeing this in a vision. That tree of life is Jesus Christ. John 15, which we're going to read. Remember John 15 where it says, I am the vine, you are the branches. He is the tree of life. But what does it mean that he is for the healing of the nations? Pearl. I've been thinking about this for a long time. That keeps coming up in my spirit. It keeps coming up. Nations, because I thought in the fullness of the kingdom, new heaven, new earth, when it's all said and done, there's only going to be the kingdom of God. There's no longer be any Jew, any Greek. There's no difference between Jew and Greek in the kingdom. Or that's what that one verse says. So what does it mean that there's going to be nations? That really puzzles me. God gave me the answer yesterday. Let's go back a few verses and look at the context. Look at uh, chapter 21. Let's read the entire chapter of Revelation 21. Revelation 21, verse 1. Then I saw, in this vision, I saw new heaven and a new earth. Now, it doesn't mean that God threw away the old heaven and he threw away the old earth. We got to understand that this is talking about a remodeling of the heavens, of the universe, of the moon, the stars. That's kind of heaven it's talking about there. And a, a newly remodeled earth because it's completely burnt. Everything on the surface of the earth is burnt. Then he remodels it. And that's what happened in Genesis chapter 1 is the earth is already in existence, in verse 2 at least. And then he remodels the earth. Six days. Anyway, it says, Then I saw a new heaven and new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth passed away. In other words, everything that's on it is destroyed and consumed. Because the Bible says in another verse, it says that the earth uh, would never cease to exist. So we must decide the two verses. And there is no longer any sea. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, made ready as a bride adored for her husband. And I heard a loud voice 
from the throne, saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is among men, and he will dwell among them, and they shall be his people, and God himself will be among them. And he will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and there will no longer be any death, and there will no longer be any mourning or crying or pain. The first thing have passed away. So all of that is what it's talking about when heaven and earth pass away. These are the things that have passed away, not the crust of the earth. Verse 5, And he who sits on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. And he said, Right, for these words are faithful and true. Then he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega. Those are Greek words. Alpha is the first Greek letter, and Omega is the last Greek letter. He never, in all scriptures, books, he never said that he was the first and last letters of the Arabic and Aramaic alphabet. He never did. But he said, I'm the first and last letters of the Greek alphabet. And people fight and fight and fight the Greek there's nothing wrong with the Greek language or the Greek letters or the Greek words. Definitely stuff wrong with Greek gods, but nothing wrong with Greek letters and Greek words. It's a language. And God used the Greek Bible uh, and uh, all the New Testament was written in Greek. He chose the Greek language to reveal the New Testament to the people because it is pretty much identical to uh, Paleo-Hebrew, meaning the original agent Hebrew. Um, and the people are still using the agent Hebrew today in the English language, the Alpha and the Omega. Lots of things to talk about, trying to get off target. It says, I will give to the one who thirsts from the spring of the water of life, he is the river and the tree. Verse 7, water of life without cause. He who overcomes will inherit these things. That word inherit is going to be important to our discussion today. He who overcomes will inherit these things. And I will be his God, and he will be my son. But for the cowardly or the fearful, the unbelieving and the abominable and the murderers and the immoral persons, and sorcerers, and idolaters, and all liars, their part will be in the lake of fire, uh, lake that burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. So there, there are people that are going to be cast into the lake of fire. There are people that's going to live a second life. Otherwise, you can't die the second time if you're not living the second time. How can you die a second time if you're not living the second time? Then one of the seven angels who had the seven bows full of the seven last plagues came and spoke with me, saying, Come here, and I will show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great and high mountain and showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, having the glory of God. Her brilliance was like a very costly stone, as a stone of crystal clear jasper, and it had a great and high wall with twelve gates, and at the gates were twelve angels. And the names of these gates were written on them, which were the names of the twelve tribes of the sons of Israel. 
there's your nation. Twelve tribes of the sons of Israel. Now, this is the new heaven, new earth. This is everything is done and completed. Now we're into eternity. We're receiving the new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven. And it's got 12 gates on that new Jerusalem, which is the new Jerusalem is 500 miles wide, 500 miles long, 500 miles tall. And it has 12 gates. And on the names of the gates, it has the names of the 12 tribes, which would include Judah, Levi, so on. So 12 tribes. That's important to God. The names of the 12 tribes will be established forever. Forever in the gates of New Jerusalem. That's mind-blowing. Because the churches of Babylon would have you to think that the tribes of Israel would no longer be important today or in the future in the kingdom. But they so much focus and take out of context the verse that there's no difference between Jew and Greek, that there is no difference between them in the kingdom. We're going to study that more later. But they're taking that out of context. So every time you mention Israel, every time you mention tribes of Israel and, and try to put a focus on or draw attention to something about the tribes that are like that's Old Testament that's gone away. But this is new heaven and earth. This is the last chapters of the Bible. Verse 13. And there were three gates on the east and three gates on the north and three gates on the south and three gates on the west. And the wall of the city had 12 foundation stones. And on them were twelve, they, uh, were the twelve names of the twelve apostles of the Lamb. Hmm. And the one who spoke with me had a gold measuring rod to measure the city and its gates and its wall. And the city is laid out as a square, and its length is as great as the width. And he measured the city with the rod, fifteen. 100 miles, I told you 550, please forget, 1,500 miles, and its length and its width and its height were equal. 1,500 miles wide, 1,500, 1,500 miles wide, 1,500 miles long, 1,500 miles tall, length, width, and height. Amazing. Verse 17. And he measured its wall. You know, that, that encompasses all of the nation of Israel that we see over there today and more. All of Israel and more, if that's exactly where it sits. Amazing. Verse 17. And he measured its wall 72 yards according to human measurements, which are also... Uh, angelic measure. The material of the wall was jasper, and the city was pure gold and like clear glass. The foundation stones of the city wall was adored with every kind of precious stone. The first foundation stone was jasper, the second, sapphire, the third, clamatoni, the fourth, emerald, the fifth, sardox, the sixth, sarius, 
the seventh crystal light, the eighth pearl, the ninth topaz, the tenth crystal phrase, the eleventh jacinth, the twelfth amorous, and the twelve gates were twelve pearls. Each one of the gates was a single pearl, and the street of the city was pure gold, like transparent glass. So, I don't think I've ever seen pure gold ever before. Probably don't even exist on this earth right now. But pure gold is clear, crystal, transparent glass. Verse 22, and I saw no temple in it. There is no temple in the new heaven, new earth. For no temple in it, for the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb are its temple. And the city had no need of the sun or the moon to shine on it. Now, there's no longer any time clock. Remember, God's created calendar is the sun, the moon, and the stars. But in that day and time, there's no, more, no longer be any sun or moon. So you no longer have a 24-hour day. You no longer have a 30-day month. You no longer have a, a weekly Sabbath because that's how you determine your seven-day Sabbath and your first of the month and all that. It's going to be one day as a thousand years. It's going to be eternity forever. We're not going to need the sun and the moon as a time clock anymore. Endless time, an endless day. That's why we call this the eighth day. That you got like 7,000 years counting the millennium, then you've just got the short season of 100 years. It's like a second. You've got the next day, the new day, the new beginning first of the new week of eternity. We learn this through the Feast of Tabernacles and the last great day. The last great day is the eighth day of the feast, that last great day of the feast. Verse 23, And the city had no need of the sun or the moon to shine on it, for the glory of God. Remember, the glory of God was so bright it made the face of Moses shine. For the glory of God has illuminated it, and its lamp is the Lamb. And the nations, talking about the tribes of Israel, will walk by its light, and the kingdoms of the earth will bring their glory into it. In the daytime, for there will be no night there, its gates will never be closed, and they will bring the glory and honor of the nations into it. Nothing unclean and no one who practices abomination and lying shall ever come into it, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's Book of Life. So no lost people. So only the saved will make it in. That's obvious and clear. Easy to understand. But remember, it keeps saying nations, and then in chapter 22, verse 2, it says for the healing of the nations. Jesus is for the healing. Physically, spiritually, mentally, emotionally, he is for the healing of the people. Healing of the nations. Is there going to be a nation of Egypt, of Saudi Arabia, of Russia, of, of any of the, or the devil's kingdom? No. The only kingdom that's going to exist is God's kingdom. But forever and ever and ever, he's going to have the 12 tribes of Israel named engraved on the gates of New Jerusalem. Forever and ever, he will remember Jacob. Forever and ever, see, Jacob, the old man Jacob, was renamed Israel. 
in the Bible, we're going to read it in a few minutes, says that he remembers Jacob. He loves Jacob. He had never and ever and never ever abolished his covenant with Jacob. He will always remember Israel. Israel is on his heart, nearing to him. And the Old Testament physical 12 tribes nation of Israel and those across the Red Sea was a foreshadowing of spiritual Israel, of the church, the true church, those that are called out, chosen, saved, covered in the Lamb, covered in the blood of the Lamb of God. We become Israel. We are spiritual Israel. We are adopted into that family. So I'm going to give you a lot of scriptures today that will help you to understand that the nations that it's talking about is the 12 tribes of Israel. And that once we are saved, we are become, whether we are physically Israel or not, regardless of our tribe or tongue or language, regardless of where we were born, anywhere on this earth, black, white, yellow, brown, yet red, that we, once we are saved, we are his people, his nation. And therefore, we become Israel. Now, I don't know if he's going to say, well, you are therefore of the tribe of Judah, therefore you are the tribe of Levi, therefore you are the tribe of Manasseh, whatever. I don't know that. Maybe, maybe not. But we become part of those 12 tribes. So I think he will say, you are this tribe and that tribe. So let's go to chapter 7 here. Revelation 7. And after this, verse 1, chapter 7, verse 1, and after this I saw four angels standing at the four corners of the earth, holding back the four winds of the earth so that no wind would blow on the earth or on the sea or on any tree. Now this is in between the sixth seal and the seventh seal. And the angels are holding back the next judgment. They're holding back the seventh seal. Verse 2, And I saw another angel ascending from the rising of the sun, having the seal of the living God. And he cried out with a loud voice to the four angels, to whom it was granted to harm the earth and the sea, saying, Do not harm the earth or the sea or the trees until we have sealed the bondservant of our God on their foreheads. So in the spiritual realm, there is a sealing on our foreheads. Are the angels going to go around to the saints of God on earth and say, Hold still, let me get out my ink gun or let me get out my knife and carve it into the foreheads. No. These are spiritual things. So in the spiritual realm, these angels will be going around saying, in the name of Jesus, I seal you in the forehead. You are sealed. You are protected. Spiritually, that angel will be there. That angel will be right there, whether you see him or not, and go, you are sealed. And it says here, verse 4, 
I heard the number of those who were sealed, 144,000 sealed from every tribe of the sons of Israel. So here, in the last days, just before the last seal is opened, the 12 tribes are still important to God. And the only people that sealed at this particular sealing, there's other sealing, but this particular sealing, only the 12 tribes are sealed, only certain people of them, 12,000 from each. Now, the Church of Babylon has always taught, it, taught us that only the Jews are going to be sealed because they think that only the Jews are Israel. And, of course, that's wrong because only the tribe of Judah is uh, Judah. <laughs> Don't let Babylon confuse you, Timmy. Only the tribe of Judah are the Jews. Now, if you think of the house of Judah, then that's Judah, Benjamin, and Levi. But that's the house of Judah. So there's different ways of looking at it. But the different 12 tribes are not all Jews. So this is not only the Jewish people. Verse 5, from the tribe of Judah, from the Jews. This is how many Jews were sealed, 12,000. Only 12,000, not all 144. Only 12,000 Jews will be sealed. Of this particular sealing, and let's clear this up real quick here, that these are not the only ones sealed. Like I said, there are other sealings. The scriptures, if we take every scripture in the Bible, we'll look at all the fillings. The scriptures make it clear that everyone that's saved, everyone that is truly, truly, truly saved, is sealed immediately upon their baptism. If you see that Holy Spirit, you are sealed with the Holy Ghost. That's what the Bible says. You are sealed with the Holy Ghost. So if we have the Holy Ghost, we are sealed. That's eventually going to be millions and millions and millions of people after we're going to read here in man be a lot of people saved, sealed with the Holy Ghost. We'll read it. There's several scriptures, but we'll read this one. But when we get to that particular point in time, just before we open into the seventh seal, there's going to be a special need for certain individuals with a certain specific calling to have a specific seal that's different, distinct from all the other saints. And that's what this is talking about, a protection from the last seal. This is a specific need. And then verse 5, it says, from the tribe of Judah, 12,000 were sealed, from the tribe of Reuben, 12,000, and from the tribe of Gad, 12,000, from the tribe of Asher, 12,000, from the tribe of Nephilim, well, not Nephilim, but you know what I'm trying to say, 12,000, from the tribe of Manasseh, United States, 12,000. So there may be more than 12,000 in America because you might have some Jews in America. You may have some French people in America. But from those, from that particular tribe of Manasseh, which are mostly Americans, 12,000. And from the tribe of Simon, 12,000. For the tribe of Levi, 12,000. From the tribe of uh, Asherah, 12,000. From the tribe of Zebulun, 12,000. And from the tribe of Joseph, which is England, because Joseph had the two sons, Manasseh and Ephraim. So Manasseh is already covered in here. So the rest of Joseph 
which would be Ephraim. Joseph had two sons, Manasseh and Ephraim. Manasseh they covered. So when it's a tribe of Joseph, it's talking about the other brother, Ephraim. So that's who is Ephraim? Is England and the British Commonwealth, South Africa, Australia, New Zealand. So out of the British Commonwealth is 12,000. And from the tribe of Benjamin, 12,000 were sealed, totaling all up to 144,000. Then after these things, I looked and behold a great multitude. This is different from the 144,000. This is a different group of people. A great multitude, not a tiny multitude, not few, but a great multitude, which no one could number. No one can number. This is such a large, humongous. It gives you the numbers of the 144,000. It gives you all kinds of numbers. Remember the, the book of Revelation even tells you about the army, how many million does it say in an army? Britain, you remember that? 200 million, 200,000 million? Anybody? It says so many millions in that army of the Russians and Chinese. So this is even more than that. They can number those people. This is so many beyond that. Who's going to get saved? That no one could count from every nation, every nation, Nigeria, Peru, South Africa, every nation, and all tribes, this is beyond the 12 tribes, and peoples, tongues, languages, all languages, you know how many languages there are on this planet? Over 2,000? But somebody from every language on this earth will be saved. That's a lot of people. That's mind-blowing. Something to really think about. Yes, it's a narrow road and few to enter therein. But what that's talking about is that in each time frame, and never generations, that there's very few to enter therein. Because it's a long and narrow road. And only so many people. you got a narrow space right here. Only one person can fit in there. Maybe two at the very, very most at a time. But then you've got somebody else behind that one. Then behind that one. Then behind that one. Then behind that one. Behind that one. You can send a million people through here. In fact, it's unlimited how many people could walk this narrow road. You can send every person on this planet on this narrow road, but only one or two at a time. So we've got to stop limiting how many people God can save. That's why we've got two resurrections. The Bible says he's not willing for any man to perish. We know some will perish, absolutely. But he's not willing for any man to perish. That's why there's generations. That's why there's first resurrection, second resurrection, the first rain and the latter rain, the first harvest and the latter harvest, each in his own time. God's plan of salvation is much, 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 much more encompassing and perfect than what the Church of Babylon teaches us. The Church of Babylon says he is dead, he is gone, he is judged, he's in heaven, he's in earth, I mean heaven or hell, and it's done and over with, and there's no hope for him, if he's burning in, in hell, in agony, forever and ever and ever without end. 
And when they say that, they are holding people back from getting saved. Because there's a lot of people on this earth that will not love God because they think that God is like that. And he's not like that. It's a lie of the devil. That is a very demonic, satanic teaching. That preacher get out there and say people's going to burn forever in hell. That is satanic. It makes God out to be a monster. It is a lie of the devil, and the devil is laughing and enjoying it. And, and the devil is so happy that people look at God like that. That makes the devil so happy that God, that people look at God as being that kind of a lover of torment, a sadist, sadist. God is not like that. When God judges the wicked, only after he's given them every chance. He is the God of second chances. I'm a living witness that he is the God of second chances. And he will do everything in his power, everything in his might. He will plead with his people. He will plead with the wicked. He will do everything that he can. He will chastise and chastise and chastise and chastise and chastise. Send one prophet, then a second prophet, and third prophet. You know how many people he sent to the nation of Israel over and over? He sent Jeremiah. He sent Ezekiel. He sent over and over. He sent all these different prophets, Daniel, all these different prophets, to tell the people, to warn the people ahead of time. And he's going to do it again. God does not change. God is a loving God. He's not willing. For uh, any man to perish, but some will of their own choosing. But God is bringing men to salvation. This is a great number of people. When that great tribulation comes, see, we need the great tribulation. Because when that great tribulation comes, there's going to be a lot of people whose eyes are going to be open. There's finally, there's going to be no such thing as an atheist. I promise you that. No such thing as an atheist in the latter days of the Great Tribulation. Because they're either going to believe that Assad is God, or they're going to believe that Jesus is God, one or the other. And everybody that sits in between will be exterminated before the end comes. In those latter days of the... Of the um, these and tabernacles, I'll just say what God wants to say. There'll be no more atheists. They will believe in God, either the false one or the true one. No more sitting on the fence. Everybody would be separated, left and right. And they would serve God or the devil, one or the other. We need the great tribulation. People be healed, delivered, saved. They will see the truth. They would see that there was no preacher rapture. They would see they was wrong about the European Union. They would see that they was wrong about all kinds of things. They would start realizing about Christmas and Easter and the Trinity and heaven and hell. They're going to start realizing about all this stuff because you're going to have the true witnesses in Jerusalem preaching the truth worldwide. You're going to have people here in the United States, their eyes being opened. Preachers of Babylon, certain ones, repenting, other ones not repenting. It's going to be a great time, the Great Tribulation. 
these 144,000 are all males who are young and virgin. Where's that scripture at? Chapter 11, maybe? No. Chapter 14, maybe? Chapter 14. Revelation 14, verse 1. Then I looked, and behold, the Lamb was standing on Mount Zion, and with him 144,000, having his name and the name of his Father written on their foreheads. And I heard a voice from heaven, like the sound of many waters, like the sound of loud thunder, and the voice which I heard was like the sound of harpers playing on their songs. Uh, verse 3, And they sung a new song, before the throne and before the four living creatures and the elders, and no one could learn the song except for the 144,000 who had been purchased from the earth. These are the ones who have not been defiled with women, for they have to have kept themselves chaste. These are the ones who follow the land wherever they go. Okay? So who are they? 12,000 from each of the 12 tribes. That's physically. A lot of times I keep telling you over and over, think spiritual. But this is literal. There are certain things in the Bible that is literal. And this is literal virgin. These are the ones who have not defiled themselves with women. And some people say that it's spiritual, it's symbolic, that they not defiled themselves with Babylon, with the false churches. But the Holy Spirit teaches me that this is one of those cases where it's literal. They've not defiled themselves with women, and they have kept themselves chase or they've kept themselves virgin. So whether they're young or old, these are men because they're not defiled themselves with women. Not that it's wrong to have sex with a woman if that's the woman that brought you with, that God brought you with. But let's face it, the majority of men on this earth have defiled themselves with women. And but these are not like that. These are virgins. These are virgins. And they're not even meant to ever get married. Like Paul, he never got married. He was single. So here, virgins, males, of the 12 tribes of Israel. Now let's go back to uh, chapter 7. Now these preachers have a special calling to preach and evangelize in the last days. And their preaching bears forth the fruit of many people saved, a great multitude, great multitude. Now, Revelation 7, verse 9, says a great multitude of every nation and all the tribes and people and languages. So going back to the main topic here, that even the Gentiles, all races, all colors, all languages, that there's going to be people saved and brought to the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Praise God for that fact. God is going to heal the people, the heathen, the Gentiles. God has always loved the Gentiles. God has always tried to call out to the Gentiles. People think God is always only focused on only 
Israel. Only the Jews is what they think, actually. When the truth is, wasn't uh, Rahab a Gentile? And so many others. Can y'all name other Gentiles that he dealt with? The woman that Elijah went, give her, uh, said, give me a piece of bread first. She was a Gentile. There's many examples. Tamar, so forth, of Gentiles that he has dealt with throughout the scriptures. He's always tried to get anybody that would listen to him, that worship him, that would serve him. But he did have to focus on the 12 tribes because everything in his time is season. Now let's go to Revelation chapter 2. Let's deal with this issue of the synagogue of Satan. Who is that? The synagogue of Satan. Is that the Jews in Israel like the Internet teaches? Revelation chapter 2, verse 9, talking about the seven churches. God, through John, is writing a letter to the seven churches. In Revelation chapter 2, verse 9, it says, And I know your tribulation, to this is to the churches of, of uh, Smyrna. Verse 9, I know your tribulation and your poverty, but you are rich and the blasphemy by those who say they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. So a very, very, very popular Internet doctrine. You would never, ever learn this uh, just through the Holy Spirit. Only through the Internet would you learn this blasphemy. But they say, many, many people say, well, this is the majority of the Jews living in Israel right now. This is the Jewish leaders. These are the Zionists. Zion, Zionists. That's a lie. It says here they, they say they're Jews. So what is it talking about? And then you look at chapter 3, verse 9, it says the same thing to the other church. This is, again, one of those places you have to think spiritual. And the Bible interprets itself. So let's see what the Bible says about who these are. These people that claim to be Jews, but they're, are, they're actually of the church of Satan. Now, there's your clue right there. They're of the synagogue of Satan. That means church of Satan. So it's dealing spiritually. Right there, a major clue right there. Who are they writing? Who is John writing to? The church. And in fact, he's writing to the church in Turkey. Uh, Gentiles. Is he saying beware of the Jews? Is he telling the Gentiles to beware of the Jews? No, that's not what he's saying. He's saying beware of those, I'm just going to tell you and then give you the scripture for it, beware of those false Christians who claim they are saved and are not. But they are of the church of Satan. These people that say I'm the church of God, one of the church of Satan. Now let's prove that from scripture, Romans 2. Verse 9. Revelation 2 9 relates to Romans 2 9. Romans 2 9. And there will be tribulation. That's so beautiful how the Word of God comes out like that. Talking about the great tribulation. And there will be tribulation and distress forever so, 
of man who does evil, of the Jew first, and also of the Greek. Well, God must have led me to that, but that's not what I had written down. <laughs> there will be tribulation and distress for ever so of man who does evil, of the Jew first and also of the Greek. But glory and honor and peace to everyone who does good, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. So there's no partiality with God. Well, that was God that brought me to that. So it's saying here that anybody can get saved, Jew and Greek. That anybody gets saved, as much as these Hebrew roots people preach against Greek words and Greek names and Greek everything, anything that's Greek is the enemy of God, according to the Hebrew roots people. Internet. Instead of Hebrew root people, just call them Internet. But there's, no, there's nothing wrong with this. The Greek can come to God even if he speaks Greek, even if he writes Alpha and Omega, even if he writes in the Greek language, even if he speaks Greek and is Greek and of Greek blood, he can come to God. This is what this is teaching. But then, go to verse 17. But if you bear the name of Jew, now these people in Revelation 2, 9, said they're Jew. They're bearing the name of Jew. But if you bear the name of Jew and rely on the law and boast in God, that's Hebrew roots. So this is warning against the Pharisees. This is warning against Hebrew roots. These are warning against people that say, I'm a Jew, but yet they rely on God, or they lie on the law, they're focused on the law, letter of the law, they boast in God. In verse 25, 28, let's go to verse 28, for he is not a Jew, who is one outwardly. So they bear the name of Jew, they claim to be Jews, they say that they're Jews, but they're not. They're of the church of Satan. For he is not a Jew who is one outwardly, nor of circumcision, that which is outward in the flesh, but he is a Jew. What a real Jew is, is one inwardly, and circumcision is that which is of the heart of the spirit, not of the letter, and his praise is not from men, but from God. So what is this saying? It's saying that when you get saved, if you get circumcised in the heart, you are no longer a heathen, you are no longer a Gentile spiritually, but you become a member of the family of God. You become a Jew. You become the tribe of Judah. You become a member of Israel, and not only a member of the 12 tribes, but of the tribe specifically that Jesus came from. You take on his blood in you. He is the tree. You are the vine. And you're the branches. You drink on his sap. You drink on his juices, his water, the fountain of life. That Jewish blood flows through you spiritually. You become a Jew. You become the body of Christ. You become the hands and the eyes and the body and the feet of Christ. Praise the Lord Jesus Christ. And you are circumcised. Jesus was circumcised, being a Jew. But now we are no, no longer circumcised in the flesh. But now we are circumcised in the spirit. And we become a Jew. But some people say they are Jews. Some people say that they are saved. Some people say that they are of the church of God when they're of the church of Satan, synagogue of Satan. So what is Revelation 2, verse 9, talking about? Who is the synagogue of Satan? False church, the church of Babylon. 
Catholic Church and other churches of Babylon. One who is a Jew inwardly, a true Jew, is one that accepts God, spiritually speaking. Praise God. Now, there's no difference between a Jew and a Gentile once you are saved. Once you are saved, it don't matter about the circumcision. Once you are saved, you are a Jew. There's no difference between Jew and Gentile, only because you are able to get saved. We'll read it more in a minute. We're going to read other scriptures. Now let's go to chapter 9. Romans 9. Praise God. Romans 9, verse 1. Wish somebody would come get them some water. <laughs> Surely somebody out there is thirsty. They need to come get them water from the tree of life. Praise God. Somebody needs refreshed. We have an ice chest full of water here. And a sign that says, free cold water, take one. So I'm wanting somebody on this racetrack, <laughs> this walking path behind me, to uh, come get him some water. Romans 9, verse 1. I'm telling the truth in Christ. I'm not lying. My conscience testifies with me in the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and unceasing grief in my heart. I could wish that I myself were a cure, a curse separated from Christ for the sake of my brethren, my kinsmen according to the flesh, who are Israelites, to whom belongs the adoption as sons, and the glory and the covenant and the giving of the law and the temple service and the promises, who are, whose are the fathers, and from whom is the Christ according to the flesh, who is over all, God blessed forever. Amen. But it is not as though the word of God has failed. For they are not all Israel, they are not all Jews who are descended from Israel. Nor are they all children, because they are Abraham's descendants. What's that saying? That's directly related to Revelation 2, verse 9. The Bible interprets itself, says God. Not everyone that says they're a Jew, not everyone that says they're Israelite, are Israelite. Not everyone that comes from that bloodline, from Abraham's descendants, are spiritual Israel because they're not saved. We're talking about reality. We're not talking about physical blood. We're talking about the reality of life. We're talking about the reality of the kingdom. We're talking about reality of eternity. In the spiritual realm, only those that are truly saved are the children of Abraham. Only those that are truly saved is in the family of God. Only those that are truly saved have that Jewish blood in their veins. Verse 2, through Isaac, your descendants will be named quotation. Verse 8. That is, it is not the children of the flesh, not physically speaking, who are the children of God, but the children of the promise. The children of the promise. The Bible says, when Abraham, when God told Abraham to go sacrifice Isaac, that that was his only son. But it wasn't. He also had Ishmael. 
But the Bible says that was his only son. But the Bible says he also had Ishmael. It was his only son of promise. The only through Isaac would come the covenant through Abraham, Isaac, and then Jacob, then Manasseh and Ephraim, about 12 tribes. So these are the children of the promise are regarded as descendants. But then that bloodline eventually becomes spiritual. It says so, that it's not of the flesh, it's not of the bloodline. That bloodline eventually becomes spiritual. The, the 12 tribes were physical, but now they are spiritual. So those 12 tribes in the book of Revelation does not necessarily mean only people that are physically Israel will be saved and in the kingdom of God. Because there's people that preach that blessing. We know also the book of Revelation says that people will be saved from all tribes, all languages, all nations. Amen. So what are those tribes in Israel? I mean, what are those tribes in the kingdom? What are those tribes in the gates? The spiritual Israel. Verse 9. For this is the word of promise. At this time I will come and Sarah shall have a son. And not only this, but there was Rebecca also when she had conceived twins. And Rebecca was a Syrian. Sarah was a Gentile. Abraham's wife was a Gentile. Uh, Isaac's wife was Syrian. Uh, Jacob's wife was Syrian. Joseph's wife was Egyptian. So there's Syrian and Egyptian blood in the twelve tribes. Says Rebecca also when she had conceived twins by one man or father Isaac, for through though the twins were not yet born and had not done anything good or bad, so that God's purpose according to his choice would stand, not because of works, but because of him who called. It was said to her the older will serve the younger, and it, just as it is written, Jacob I loved but Esau, I hate it. And oh, I hate this doctrine that people would take this verse and other verses like it and preach that God hates sinners and that God hates Esau and that God hates Ishmael and that God hates black people and that God hates this people and that person and that tribe and that language. God does not hate people. He hates sin. He hates abomination and makes them sick. But he does, what is it talking about, Jacob I love? Jacob I chose. And Esau I rejected. That is what it means spiritually. It does not spiritually mean that God hated Esau, this guy that he created, this guy that he ordained to be born. He did not hate Esau. He did not hate the sin. The Bible says he hates the sinner. We've got to think spiritual. It means rejected. He rejected Esau. He rejects the sinner. That's what it's meaning. That's what the spirit is behind these words that are now poorly translated. He chooses Israel. He chooses Jacob. He rejects Esau. Verse 24. Go over here to verse 24. Even us, 
whom he also called, not from among Jews only, but also from Gentiles. We need to love Mexicans. We need to love black people. We need to love Egyptians. We need to love Russians. We need to love Chinese. We need to love Iranians. Easy to love those that love you. Easy to love those that bless you. Harder to love your enemies. Harder to love the heathen. We don't have to love their sin. We don't have to accept or condone their sin. We must speak out against evil. But we need we need to love the people. God loved us while we were still sinners. While we were still spiritually gentle. When it was not yet a people, not yet the people of God, not yet the nation of God, not yet a spiritual Jew, he loved us first while we were still yet sinners. But verse 24, even us, as he also called, not from among Jews only, but also from among Gentiles, as he says also in Hosea, I will call those who were not my people, people who were not Israel, my people. And her who was not beloved, beloved. And it shall be that in the place where it was said to them, you are not my people. I cannot feed you. I'm not come but only to the, the sheep of Israel. You're not my people. There shall be called the sons of the living God. Praise God. Book of Revelation, chapter 21 and 22 says, I shall be their God, and they shall be my people. They shall be called the sons of the living God, of all nations, of all tongues, of all languages, including Greek, praise God. Praise the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 27, Isaiah cries out, Praise God. Isaiah cries out concerning Israel. I love the writings of Isaiah. Quotation from him says, Through the number, though the number of the sons of Israel, twelve tribes of Israel, be like the sand of the sea, multitude, great number, how many grains of sand on a beach? That's where Israel is. Look at Israel today. Not that many. Very small, very, very, very small land. Not talking about only that. It's talking about the United States. It's talking about the British Commonwealth. When you add up all the tribes, all the English-speaking people, all the Greek-speaking people, all the Paleo-Hebrew-speaking people, all the nations of Israel, all the tribes of Israel, or like the sand of the sea, it is the remnant that will be saved. But yet, that remnant God be many. For the Lord will execute his word on the earth thoroughly and quickly. And just as Isaiah foretold, unless the Lord of hosts is what it should say. That's, the word Sabbath there does not mean seventh day in this particular case. If you look at Greek, the word Sabbath there means host or multitude. That God is the uh, Lord of hosts. He's the Lord of multitudes. He is the Lord of armies and, and great numbers of people is what the Greek word there means. It would be best translated as 
Lord of hosts, or Lord of multitudes, had left to us a prosperity. Prosperity. We would have become like Solomon and would have resembled Gomorrah. What should we say then that Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness attain righteousness, even the righteousness which is by faith, but Israel pursuing a law of righteousness did not arrive at that law? Think of how the Pharisees really, 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 really pursued the letter of the law, but they did not arrive at the righteousness of the law because they did not think spiritually. Verse 32, why? Because they did not pursue it by faith, but as though it was by works, they stumbled over the stumbling stone, Jesus. Just as it is written, Behold, I lay in Zion. Thank God I'm a Zionist. The word Zion in the Bible is good. It's never used once, not even once in the entire Bible in a negative, evil way. A Zionist is a person that believes that Zion is a habitation of God, that Zion is a habitation of his people, that Zion, which is Jerusalem, it's just another word for Jerusalem. That you believe that Jerusalem is the land of Israel, that it belongs to Israel, and they have a right to exist, they have a right to freedom, they have a right to their land that God did give them. That's all the scientists means. But the Internet teaches that we must hate Zion, that we must hate Jews, that they are the synagogue of Satan, that we must hate Jacob because they rule the New World Order. No, they don't. The Muslims rule the New World Order. The communists rule the New World Order. Those are Gentiles. It's not the Jews that control the New World Order. It is Assad that controls the New World Order. It is President Putin of Russia. It is Iran, the leaders of Iran. It is the Gentiles. Yes, there are a few Jews there, among those people. But those are just the storefronts. These people like Assad, that's the Jews out there in the front, how obvious that is, because they do everything they can to accuse the Jews. They do everything they can to blackmail the Jews. They do everything they can to make the people hate the Jews. God loves the Jews. God loves Zion. He loves the Gentiles, too. But we've got to face it, that a lot of the Gentiles have always, historic, historically, as ordained by God, rejected God. Africa, Peru, Russia, China, Iran, Saudi Arabia. The Gentiles, historically and even to this day, the majority reject God. But the blessings of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob are on America, Israel, and the British Commonwealth. It is not by the power of arms. It is not by the power of horses. It is not the power of cannons and swords in the Revolutionary War. It is not the power of Benjamin Franklin and all those people. It is not by the power of man that America became great or that Israel was restored to their land or that the British Commonwealth 
show to India and South Africa and Australia and New Zealand and all the Middle East and Jordan and that look how much land the British Commonwealth at one time controlled. Was that by the power of the Queen? Or was it through the Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob covenant that God said that your descendants shall become as the grains of the sand, even more than the grains of the sand, that will bless you? It's through Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Do you see the blessings to this very day on Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob? It proves who the physical nation of Israel is. But thank God for the mercies of God that in the spiritual realm, even the Gentile can come into this blessing. That even the Gentile can come under the Abraham covenant. That even the Gentile now no longer has to be circumcised and still become a child of Abraham and a child of God. Praise the Lord Jesus Christ. Now let's read Romans 4. Romans chapter 4. Verse 1. Romans 4, verse 1. What then shall we say? That Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh, or Benjamin Franklin, or any of those people, has found. For if Abraham was justified by works, he had something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the Scripture say? Quote, Abraham, Abraham believed God. Amen. John 3.16. Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. People don't believe God. Now to the one who works. His wage is not credited as a favor, but as what is due. Amen. But to the one who does not work, but believes in God, believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is credited as righteousness. Just as David also speaks of the blessing on the man, to whom God credits righteousness apart from works. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds have been forgiven, and whose sins have been covered. Blessed is the man whose sin in the whose sin the Lord will not take into account. Is this blessing then on the circumcised or on the uncircumcised also? For we say faith was credited to Abraham as righteousness. How then was it credited? While he was circumcised or uncircumcised. Not while circumcised. Abraham was still uncircumcised when God credited him with righteousness. Still uncircumcised. But while uncircumcised, verse 11. And he received the sign of circumcision, a symbol, just a symbol, a seal of the righteousness. See, there's many sealings in the Bible. Of righteousness, of the faith which he had while uncircumcised. So he might be, so that he might be the father of all who believe. So we're children of Abraham, spiritually. So that he might be the father of all who believe without being circumcised. So that brings us into his family. 
without circumcision. We don't need circumcision. We are his children without circumcision, it says, who believe without being circumcised, that righteousness might be credited to them, to us. And the father of circumcision to those who are not only of the circumcision, but also following the steps of the faith of our father Abraham, which had, while uncircumcised, were children of the faith. Verse 13. For the promise to Abraham or to his descendants, or the covenant to him and to his descendants, Abraham, uh, America, and so forth, that he would be higher inheritance of the world of many, many, many nations, of much land on the earth, was not through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. For if those who of the law are hires, faith is made void and the promise is nullified. For the law brings about wrath, but where there is no law, there is also no violation. For this reason, it is by faith, in order that it may be accordance with grace, so the promise will be guaranteed to all the descendants, not only to those who are of the law, but also to those who are of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. As it is written, a father of many nations have I made you. In the presence of him whom he believed, even God, who gives life to the dead and calls into being that which does not exist, in hope against hope he believed, so that he might become a father of many nations, according to that which had been spoken, so shall your descendants be. So, physically, many descendants, but spiritually, many more. Right there proves many, 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 many people will be saved. Because physically, yes, father of many descendants. But spiritually, even more. Physically, it was only of that bloodline. But spiritually, it is beyond that bloodline, going even into the Gentiles in different languages and tongues. Many people will be saved but in a process of time, only a little bit through the narrow path at a time. Very few right now are being saved. Very few truly saved. But more will come, and more and more and more and more. That narrow road will be busted for consumed, praise God. Verse 19. Without becoming weak in faith, he complicated, complicated his own body. Now as good as dead, he's old. He is about 100 years old and the deadness of Sarah's womb. Yet with respect to the promise of God, he did not waver in unbelief, but grew strong in faith, like a seed of a mustard seed, growing strong, giving glory to God, and being fully assured that what God has promised, children of the promise, he, oh, the Holy Ghost, praise God, was promised. Through the Holy Ghost, through the promise, we are sealed with the Holy Ghost. We receive that promise, and being fully assured that what God has promised, he was also able to, to perform. Therefore, it was also credited to him as righteousness. Wow. Praise God. Verse 23. Now, not for his sake only, as it was written, that it was credited to him, but for our sake. Gentiles, the Romans, so forth, also. To whom it will also be credited as those who believe in him, who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead. He who was delivered over because of our transgression was raised because of our justification, for our justification. Amen. Praise God. Let's go to Matthew chapter 3. Matthew 3.
It looks so hopeless right now. Will man find faith? Will God find faith on earth when he comes, the Son of Man? It looks so hopeless right now. But there's a time coming. Things going to break loose. Things are going to be shaken, shaken up. Things are going to be shaken up. Things are going to change. Amen. Things are going to change. Change is in the wind. Matthew 3, verse 7. But when he saw John the Baptist, when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming for baptism, he said to them, you brood of vipers, who warned, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Therefore bear fruit in keeping with repentance, and do not suppose that you can say to yourself, we have Abraham for our father, we are of this bloodline. But I say to you that from these stones, God is able to raise up children to Abraham. Even from the stones, God is able to do that. The axe is already laid at the root of the tree. What is that talking about? It's talking about that God is laying or did lay an axe at Hebrew roots. That he laid an axe at the Jewish bloodline. That he laid an axe and cast the Jews away for a while so that the Gentiles can be drafted in. He's pruning the tree. He brings that sword. He brings that axe. He brings that pruning hook. Already laid at the root of the trees, the Jews, for the Jews comes first from the ground. Therefore, every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. They, these Pharisees was dependent upon their bloodline. They knew what tribe they were from. Every Pharisee knew exactly which tribe that they was from. And if they were not from a specific tribe, they weren't even allowed to serve in the temple. They had to have a certain bloodline to even serve in the temple. They were very focused on bloodlines, like people are today. But God says, I'm going to lay an axe at this. I'm going to destroy your pride, your nationality, your Jewish customs and traditions of man. So then... Let's go to Romans 11. Romans 11. This is a great chapter. Romans 11. Verse 1. I say then, God has not rejected his people, has he? May it never be. God will always remember Israel. For I too am an Israelite. Paul is saying this. Now Paul was born in Tyrus of Roman territory. He was a Roman citizen. He never rejected his Roman citizenship. But he was of the bloodline of the Pharisees. He was the bloodline of that tribe. He was the bloodline to where he could be chief of the Pharisees. And he was chief of the Pharisees. He knew the law left and right, upside down and out. But I too was an Israelite, a descendant of Abraham, of the tribe of Benjamin. And God has not rejected his people. 
who he foreknew? Or do you not know what the scriptures say in the passage about Elijah, how he pleads with God against Israel, pleading with the people to get right, to come to him? Verse 3, uh, it says in scripture about Elijah, verse 3, Lord, they have killed your prophets. They have torn down your altars. And I alone, Elijah said, I alone am left, and they are seeking my life. Verse 4. But what is the divine response to him? This was it. Quotation from God. I have kept for myself 7,000 men who have not bowed the knee to bar to the devil. 7,000. It looked desperate to Elijah. He thought there's nobody else serving God in the truth. He thought Elijah thought everybody else that served God had been killed, a lot had been. He thought there was no one left alive that really served God. He felt so alone and isolated. But God says, I have preserved 7,000, a lot of people, 7,000 men who have not bowed a knee the ball. Verse 5. In the same way then, there has also come to the present time a remnant according to God's gracious choice. For if it is by grace, it is no longer on the basis of the works. Otherwise, grace is no longer grace. What then? What Israel is seeking, it has not obtained, but those who were chosen obtained it, and the rest were hardened. Just as it is writ, quote, God gave them a spirit of stunter, eyes to see not and ears to hear not, down to this very day. And David says, let their table become a snare and a trap and a stumbling block and a tribulation to them. Let their eyes be darkened to see not and bend their backs forever. In other words, God says, I'm going to blind the Jews. For reason, for purpose, for time, for season. I'm going to lay the axe at the Jews. I'm going to blind the Jews. I'm going to shut their mouths. I'm not going to let them come to me. And people always hate the Jews because it's the Jews that killed Jesus. The Jews did not kill Jesus. Jesus gave up his own life, says that no man took it from him, but he gave it of his own accord, the Bible says. No man took his life. God volunteered it, his life. He gave his own life. No man took it from him, the scripture says. You cannot blame the Jews. Everything that the Jews did was ordained and even pre-written from the foundations of the world. God planned it all out before he made it. In his wisdom, God planned it all out before he made it. Verse 11. I say then, they did not stumble so as to fall, did they? May it never be. But by their transgression, salvation has come to the Gentiles to make them jealous, to make the Gentiles jealous. Verse 12. Now, if their transgression is riches for the world and their failure is riches for the Gentiles, the failure of the Jews to come to Christ so far is for the riches of the Gentiles. How much more will their fulfillment be when the Jews are coming back in? When the Jews come back, not just the Jews only, I say Jews for a matter of expression to make it easier for a lot of people to understand. 
But when America comes back to God, when the British come back to God, when the Israelites come back to God, when we come back to God, how much more then will the Gentiles be saved? So God has got to seal some of the physical bloodline as ministers and preachers of righteousness in the end time to bring the Gentiles back in. All this is going to be re, re done. God is going to, God is in control. He's in control. Verse 13. But I am speaking to you who are Gentiles. You Roman people. He's writing to the Romans. Inasmuch then as I am an apostle of Gentiles, I magnify my ministry. If somehow I might move to jealousy my fellow countrymen and save some of them. For if their rejection, the Jews' the rejection, is the reconciliation of the world, what will their acceptance be but life from the dead? If the first piece of dough is holy, the Jews, the lump is also, and if the root is holy, the branches are too. But if some of the branches of this tree were broken off, and you being a wild olive were grafted in among them, become part of the family, adopted sons of God, grafted into the family among them, and become partaker with them of the rich root of the olive tree. Do not be arrogant for the branches. Don't be arrogant for the Israelites. Don't be arrogant for the Jews and for the Israelites. But if you are arrogant, remember that it is not you who supports the root, but the root root supports you. You will say then, Branches were broken off so that I might be grafted in. Quite right. They were broken off. The Israelites was and the Jews were for their unbelief. But you stand by your faith. Do not be conceited, but fear. For if God did not spare the natural branches, he will also not spare you either. Behold then the kindness and the severity of God to those who fail severity but to you, God's kindness. If you continue in his kindness, otherwise you will also be cut off, and they also, if they do not continue in their unbelief, will be grafted in. If they do not continue in unbelief, if they actually change their mind, if they actually start believing, if they repent, will be grafted in. For God is able to graft them in again. For if you were cut off from what is by nature a wild olive tree, and were grafted contrary to nature into a cultivated olive tree, how much more were these who are the natural branches were grafted into their own olive tree? For I do not want you, brethren, to be uninformed of this mystery, so that you would not be wise in your own uh, estimation. That a partial hardening hath happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. There is coming a fullness of the Gentiles, a fullness when people without number are going to come to God. But there must be a hardening of America first. See, the heart of America has been hardened. The heart of the Pharaoh, the heart of Obama, has been hardened by God. God has ordained the Pharaoh's heart to be hardened, to not let his people worship him. God is in control. We've got to stop thinking that the New World Order is in so much control. It's God behind all this. 
God is working behind the scenes, bringing Obama to this, Obama to that, Russia and China, Iran, Israel, all the kings and presidents and leaders of the world are in God's hands. He is in control. All this is happening for a reason. That a partial hardening has happened to Israel, America and Israel, until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. And so all Israel will be saved, just as it is written. The deliverer will come from Zion and will remove ungodliness from Jacob. This is my covenant with them. God still remembers his covenant with Jacob. This is New Testament. Well, it's a quotation from the Old Testament, but it's written again here in the New Testament. This is my covenant with them when I take away their sins. Says I'm coming back for Israel. I'm coming back for Gentiles and Israel and graft you all back in, the Jews back in, even though I did cut them off for a while, the Gentiles in. I'm not willing for any man to perish. I want you to all come in to the one family. I want you to all come in. Verse 28. From the standpoint of the gospel, there are enemies for your sake. But from the standpoint of God's choice, they are beloved for the sake of the fathers. For the gifts and the calling of God are reconcilable, for just as you were once were disobedient to God, but now have been shown mercy because of their disobedience. So these also now have been disobedient, that because of the mercy shown to you, they also may now be shown mercy. For God has shut up all in disobedience. It is, the, it is ordained who is living in those disobedience. It is ordained everything that Obama and the leaders of Iran is doing, even Assad, what he is doing is all ordained. Praise God. Verse 32 again. For God has shut up all in disobedience so that he may show mercy to all. Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. The church of Babylon limits God. The church of Babylon makes it look like God is losing and the devil is winning. That everybody, the whole world is lost. The church of Babylon, if you want to believe them, then you must believe that God is a loser, that God's plan is not very good, that the devil has already won. But the plan of God is so much more accomplishing and in control has two resurrections and have all this planned out. Every degree, every, every, every second of this planned out. But depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable are his judgments and unfindable his ways. He is so great. Verse 34. For who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who became his counselor? Or who has first given to him that it might be paid back to him again? For from him and through him and to him are all things. Everything is under his control. To him be the glory forever. Amen. John 15. John 15. Verse 1.
John 15, verse 1. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that bears fruit, he prunes it so that it may bear more fruit. He takes the axe so that more shall come. Verse 3, you are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me. Stay in me. Don't go back to wallow in the mud. Abide in me and I in you as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides, stays in the tree, the vine. So neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides, stays, dwells, lives in me, tabernacles in me, and I in him. He bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away as a branch and dries up, and they gather them and cast them into the fire, and they are burned. Amen. But if you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. Talking about those things that are acceptable in the will of God. My Father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciple. Remember, in Revelation 22, the rivers and the tree of life, and it says it should bear fruit every month for the healing of the nation, and the leaves for the healing of the nation. We are that tree. He is that tree. So we're part of that. We're part of him. We're part of, we're part of the body of Christ. And in that essence, in that way, we are part of the tree. We are the branches. And we stay in him. We abide in him. Always be part of him and him part of us and bear forth much fruit. We're grafted into that family. We're grafted into that tree of life, that bloodline. Amen. Praise God. Romans 8. One of my favorite chapters of the entire Bible. I I, I tell you, this is such a rich chapter, Romans 8. So rich. Romans 8, verse 16. Romans 8, Romans 8:16 The spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are the children of God children of Abraham and children of God verse 17 and his children hires hires also hires of God inheritance and fellow hires with Christ if indeed we suffer with him so that we may also be glorified with him I consider the substance of this present time and the great tribulation are not worthy to be compared with the glory that shall be revealed in us. We shall shine like he shines. Look as he looks. Verse 19, for the anxious longing of the creation, the moon, so forth, the creation, for the anxious longing of the creation waits eagerly. Pluto, Saturn, 
the universe, verse 19, for the anxious longing of the creation waits eagerly for the revealing of the sons of God for us to come into that new Jerusalem. Verse 20, for the creation was made subject to vanity through the fall of Lucifer. It was made subject to vanity. Genesis 1, verse 2, when it became void and dark after God had already created it in verse 1. For the creation of verse 1 was made subject to, for the crea- verse 20 here, for the creation of Genesis 1, 1 was made subject to fertility, Genesis 1, verse 2, not willingly, but because of him, Lucifer, who subjected the creation in hope that he would become God, that he would overthrow the gods from his throne. Lucifer, who subjected the earth, the creation, in hope that he would overthrow God off his throne, verse 21, that the creation itself also will be set free from its slavery to corruption into the children, into the freedom of the glory of the children of God. That did not God say dominion, give you dominion over the animals, give you dominion over the earth. He's going to give us dominion of the creation. He's going to give us dominion of the stars, dominion of the planets, dominion of all the solar systems and the galaxies. Nothing in there is vain. All that creation is waiting eagerly for the revealing of the sons of God. Amen. 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 Verse 22. We know that the whole creation groaneth and suffers the pains of childbirth together until now. And not only this, but also we ourselves, having the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves, those are the first resurrections of what that's talking about. Even we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting eagerly for our adoption as sons, that we may be grafted into the family, become spiritual Jews, spiritual Israelites, the redemption of our body, to cast off the flesh, to cast off, whether we're circumcised or not, to be cast off the flesh and be called a member of the family of God, of the blood of Jesus, and a spiritual Israelite. Praise the Lord Jesus Christ. Now let's go to Romans 10. Not much more here. Romans 10, verse 12. Romans 10, verse 12. Here's the one where people say there's no difference. Romans 10, verse 12. For there's no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, abounding in riches for all who call on him. For whoever will call on the name of the Lord will be saved. Does that mean that all we got to do is say, I call you Lord, I believe in Jesus, and we'll be saved. No. What does it mean? It means whether you're Jew or Greek, Gentile or Israelite, physically speaking, that anybody that comes to God, truly, truly, truly come to God, know Him as your Lord, worship Him and serve Him and follow Him in obedience, keeping the Ten Commandments. You call on Jesus, it doesn't matter what your bloodline is. That is the spiritual principle between these two verses. The spiritual principle behind these two verses is not that it doesn't matter to God what your bloodline is anymore. It does to a certain extent. Or that every word of the Old Testament is done away with. No. The spiritual principle behind this 
is that salvation is available to every person on this planet, every person, regardless of their bloodline, every person, regardless of their bloodline. Turn to the book of Genesis, chapter 4. Let's look at the synagogue of Satan thing again where people says Cain, this ridiculous internet doctrine says that Cain is a child of the devil. Let's look at that in Genesis chapter 4. People say on the internet, mostly these are rich people putting this stuff out there. They say that Cain is the seed of Satan which descended down into the Jews of Israel today and so forth, which is crazy. Genesis 4, verse 1 says, Now the man had relations with his wife Eve. We're talking about Adam. Had relations with his wife, his wife Eve, says Adam. And she conceived and gave birth to who? To Cain. So who is the dad of Cain? Adam. Not the devil. That's why we need to stop reading the Internet. I don't care if I do have a ministry on that. Get back to the real Bible. Get off the Internet and get back to the real Bible. It's clear as day in that verse. Internet is corrupting. Gave birth to Cain. She said, I have gotten a man-child with the help of the devil. No. The help of the Lord. Amen. Well, I give these Hebrew people a hard time, don't I? No wonder they hate my guts for the passion. Verse 2 again, she gave birth to his brother Abel. So he came from God too. He came from Adam. He came from Eve. They're brothers, not half-brothers. So, I mean, it's so clear. Now let's look at Leviticus 23 about remembering Jacob. Leviticus 23. Verse 40. Leviticus 23, verse 40. If they confess their iniquity. Leviticus 23. I mean 26. Leviticus 26. Verse 40. This is that song. If they confess their sin, if they confess their iniquity and the iniquity of their forefathers, in their unfaithfulness which they committed against me, and also in the, their acting with hostility against me, I also was acting with hostility against them to bring them into the land of their enemy. Or if their uncircumcised heart, the spirit of the law, rather than the letter of the law, the unsacrificed part, has always been what God was looking for. Always. God never really wanted people to be so hung up on the letter of the law that you can't buy a soda from a drink machine on the Sabbath buy ice from the machine on the Sabbath, or that you can't cook at all on the Sabbath, you can't wash your dishes on the Sabbath, or you can't 
take wheat on the Sabbath when you're hungry and starved. The letter of the law is never what God was looking for. Right here in Leviticus, it's talking about having an uncircumcised heart. God's always been looking for the spirit, the heart, the mind of their uncircumcised heart becomes humbled so that then they then make amends for their sin, for their iniquity. Then I will remember my covenant with Jacob. And I will remember also my covenant with Isaac and my covenant with Abraham as well. And I will remember the land. God is physically going to restore the physical land of Israel far beyond the borders of 1967, far beyond the borders of 2015. And Jesus comes back. All the land that you can read about in the Bible that they gave to Israel will be Israel. But there's still going to be a nation of Egypt during the millennium, Zechariah 14. During the thousand-year millennium, when Jesus is here on earth after the first resurrection, there will still be nations and kingdoms that are all under his governorship or his kingship, and he's going to appoint governors. He's going to say, you're the governor of Egypt, you're the governor of Saudi Arabia, you're the governor of America, and he's going to restore America. And America will have a governor who is under the king, and we should be kings and priests in the kingdom of God here on earth, Revelation 5.10, which will be kings and priests here on the earth, Revelation 5.10. And there will still be sin in the millennium, Zechariah 14. There will still be humans physically during the millennium, Ezekiel 39 and Zechariah 14. So then here it says in verse 43, for the land will be abandoned by them and will make up for its Sabbath while it is made desolate without them. They, meanwhile, will be making amends for their iniquity because they rejected my ordinances and their soul abhorred my statutes. Yet in spite of this, when they are in the land of their enemies, when they're in Russia, when they're in Syria, when they're in China, as they are taken captive, I will not reject them, nor will I so abhor them as to destroy them, breaking my covenant with them. God will not break his covenant with the Americans, with the Israelites, when they are in captivity in the Gentile nations. For I am the Lord your God. Verse 45, I will remember for them the covenant with their ancestors, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, whom I brought out of the land of Egypt in the sight of the nations, that I might be their God. I am the Lord. These are the statutes and ordinances and laws which the Lord established between himself and the sons of Israel through Moses at my founding. Psalm 47. Book of Psalms, chapter 47. chapter 47, verse 1. 
Oh, clap your hands, all people, if that's sung. Shout to God with a voice of joy, for the Lord Most High is to be feared, a great king over all the earth. He subdues people under him, and nations, nations under our feet. He chooses our inheritance for us, inheritance, governorship, whether we inherit a town, a city, a county, a nation, a planet, a star, a solar system. He chooses our inheritance for us, the glory of Jacob, whom he loves, chooses. Shalom. God has ascended with a shout, the Lord with the sound of a trumpet. Sing praises to God, sing praises, sing praises to our king, sing praises. For God is the king of all the earth. Sing praises with a skillful song. God reigns over the nations. God sits on his holy throne. The princes of the people have assembled themselves, talking about leaders of all the different nations, have assembled as the people of the God of Abraham. For the shields of the earth belong to God. He is highly, highly exalted. One more scripture, Psalm 87. Psalm 87. Verse 1. His foundation is in the holy mountains. The Lord loves the gates of Zion. Amen. He is a Zionist. God loves the gates with the 12 tribes of Israel, names of them, of New Jerusalem. He loves the gates of Zion. He doesn't despise Zion. More than all the other dwelling places of Jacob. Glorious things are spoken of you, O city of God. I shall mention Rahab, a Gentile. And Babylon, a Gentile city, among those who know me. This is talking about in the future. This is talking about when Rehab is resurrected, when Sodom and Galore is resurrected, and some of those get saved. Because the Bible says that uh, he'll have more uh, mercy, grace, son, was a favor, favor, what he says, more tolerant, something. For Sodom and Galora, what what's the word? Or tottering, something like that. A Sodom and Galora than for you, it says. So when those people who are not burning in hell, they are asleep, they come back up in the second resurrection, citizens of Babylon, citizens of, Galora, of Sodom and Galora, they come up in the second resurrection, flesh and blood again, and they live to be 100 years old, Isaiah 65. And they get to choose, serve God or not. This is my last chance. At the end, at the end of that 100 years, they come up to the great white throne judgment and separate it on the left and right, either thrown into the lake of fire, and die and perish, consume away in the smoke and be no more, as it says in the book of Psalms, or inherit eternal life in the city of Jerusalem or whatever, in the kingdom of God, new heaven, new earth, and eighth day. To these people, God says that Babylon will come to know him. Babylon will come to know him of all nations, every nation. 
people will come to know even Babylon. Among those who know me, even the whole, even the Philistines, and Tyre, and Ethiopia. This one was born there. But of Zion, it shall be said, this one and that one was born in her. God will still remember our tribes, our bloodlines. Even in the new heaven, new earth, he will say, you was born in Zion, you was born in Babylon. But we'll all be spiritual Jews and tribes of Israel. I think forever and ever it's going to matter. Some degree, some way, some way. In the wisdom of God, how he's planned that out. But that we can still be equal in salvation, that we can still all get saved and make it in. But there are some appointed for certain positions of authority, certain positions of administration. Verse 5, but of Zion it shall be said, this one and that one was born in her, and the Most High himself will establish her. The Lord will count when he registers the people. This one was born there. Shalom. Then those who sing, as well as those who play the flute, will say, All my springs of joy are in you, in Zion, in Jerusalem. Springs, water of life, in Jerusalem. New Jerusalem, rivers of water flowing from Jerusalem. I've said that was the last scripture, but let's just turn again one more time to Revelation 22. Revelation 22, verse 1. Go back to 21, verse 25. Chapter 21, verse 25. Verse 24. <laughs> verse 24. Revelation 21, verse 24. The nations will walk by its light, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. Which are the kings and priests? In the daytime, for there would be no night there, and its gates would never be closed. Huh. If you've got a gate for each tribe, won't we walk in the gate of our tribe? I believe so. Verse 27. Nothing unclean talking about uh, drugs, talking about fornication, talking about adultery, talking about the wicked people, will not enter into this. And no one who practices abomination and lying shall ever come into it, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's Book of Life. Even if these names are written on the gates, even if the names are written on the foundations of the apostles and prophets, Chapter 22, verse 1, Then he showed me a river, stream, of the water of life, clear as crystal coming from the thrones of God. Crystal water. Crystal water. Praise the Lord God. (laughs) 
Water clears crystal. Mmm. <laughs> Praise God. Coming from the throne of God and of the Lamb. In the middle of the street and on either side of the river was the tree of life. Jesus bearing 12 manner of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nation. Reconciliation. Healing of those bruises. Healing of where the axe had been cut. Healing of things that had been pruned to be, bring the people back to God and there no longer be any curse. Amen. And the throne of God and the Lamb will be in it. His bondservants will serve him. Praise his name. And they will see his face and his name will be on their foreheads and there no longer be any night and they will not have any need for the light of the lamp. No more electric, no the light of the sun because the Lord God will illuminate them. There's no be no electric in the kingdom of God, in the in the fullness of it, nor of the sun, because the Lord God will be the only light we need, and they will reign forever and ever. Amen. Praise God. Verse 17. The Spirit and the bride say, Come, and let the one who hears come, and let the one who is thirsty come, and let the one who wishes take the water of life. Call free water, amen. Praise God. That concludes the sermon. Okay, so we're going to conclude the internet broadcast and then we'll continue to talk here. Have questions, answers, card ministry, food, so forth. We'll continue our Sabbath fellowship. And I thank everybody that's been listening over the internet. Thanks for your patience and your love and your support. God bless Lisa. God bless all those that listen. And God bless you all in Jesus' name. So be it. Amen.
Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, Revoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.